Mathieu Chu, I'm Director of Pharmacy of St. Antonius Hospital in the Netherlands, in Utrecht, New Hagen. Hello, I'm Anne Spinerin. I'm a head clinical pharmacist in a teaching hospital uh, in Belgium and I'm also an associate professor in clinical pharmacy at the Université Catholique de Louvain. I'm Steve Williams, I'm a consultant pharmacist in medicine and medication safety at the University Hospital South Manchester. I'm one of the associate editors here at EJHP and I was lucky enough to attend the session this afternoon. So, you both were talking about re-engineering clinical pharmacy services in your respective countries and both of the presentations were inspiring, I thought, and, you know, I wondered if you could maybe sum up three things that you think that you've achieved in your own area to re-engineer pharmacy services for the benefit of patients. So, Matthew, should we start with you? Okay. I'm very pleased uh, to, to tell you that uh, something <laughs> will happen, some things will, will, will go on, and uh, the, the main thing is that we are just heading towards an integration of the clinical pharmacy service in the clinical field. The pharmacy is, is not an apotheca, it's not a room anymore, but the clinical pharmacy services are integrated in uh, the clinical field in the wards of the hospital. And that's where you find the clinical pharmacists, our consultants and our pharmacy assistants. That's one of the, the main things uh, that's happening uh, in the last years. The next thing is we uh, kept on innovating our traditional practices. And when you talk about traditional practices, uh, we're talking about logistics and we are talking about production. And uh, when, you, when you say what, what is, what is uh, around in, in our hospital at this moment is that we think we don't have to do all the things we have done in the past. We skip on the traditional logistic processes and we get our partners to do this for us in a better way so that we can move towards our clinical goals. But our clinical goals are more patient-oriented and it is an innovative strategy to uh, get in touch with the personalized medicine and the individualization of pharmacotherapy. And it's a huge effort to achieve this. We have started with uh, introducing a pharmacogenomics facility in our laboratory field so we can identify patients uh, who need different uh, therapies and we individualize in the way that we can identify patients at risk for under-treatment or over-treatment. Yeah, you, you imagine that neonatal care uh, has uh, some, uh, uh, some need for uh, extra information concerning dosages uh, to, uh, to get uh, the perfect level of sedation or, or pain control or the perfect level of uh, uh, anti-effective control. Individualization is uh, one of the focus uh, areas for uh, clinical pharmacy. And the last thing I want to mention is outcome research. I think it's one of the main efforts, and Alan and I share this topic. You need the information in outcome research to have an idea about the value of new drugs, new drug strategies, and also you have information on the value of interventions of hospital pharmacists. 
I was struck by how very clear your vision was of what it was that you were trying to do. Mm -hmm. you know, how long ago did you come up with that vision? Because in your presentation, to me, it was very, very clear mm -hmm. that you knew where you were going yeah. and you knew what you wanted to do. Yeah. How long did that take? And what can others, you know, who might be listening, how can they learn from what it is that you've managed to achieve? Well, I think, I think in, in, in this time, things go faster. Uh, you have some sort of orientation where you want to go, but you have to take the opportunity to realize it. The vision is, well, five or ten or twenty years old, but it's just augmenting in the sense that you are transforming from material pharmaceutical services to patient-oriented pharmaceutical services. And it's not ideal. It's a British idea to, uh, to keep on tracking uh, on the patient uh, line and to show that pharmacy services is a part of uh, clinical services. But what we want to integrate in Holland is the material and scientific knowledge into the clinical field. It, it was a little bit difficult uh, to, to keep on developing our materialistic way of looking at things in pharmacy and to connect it with uh, uh, clinical pharmacy services. And that's why now is the opportunity to do this. We have the science for pharmacogenomics, therapeutic drug monitoring, and new technology in robotics for preparation. And we put this now into the perspective of clinical pharmacy services with the goal of having a better patient care. And am I right to think that your vision, you had to get into professional agreement that that was the right thing to do with patients. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, if I want to summarize in three points what, what we've been achieving, so at the level of the hospital I work at, I would say that first we've been able to define a vision of where do we want to go in three or five years' time, not only for clinical pharmacy, but for the whole pharmacy department. And so this has been a very fruitful exercise. Um, I think that's the first thing. The second is that we've been able to, at least to start defining practice standards, uh, try to define what are we supposed to do when we do medication reconciliation, what do we want to measure, and so what are the key performance indicators that we want to work on. I'm aware that there's still a long way to go forward to develop that, but still I think we've started uh, the process of working on that and this has been important for the whole team of pharmacy and also for the visibility of the clinical pharmacist at the hospital level and even at the regional or national level. And third, we've been able at least to some extent to do research in parallel to the development of clinical pharmacy that we've been doing to research on the impact of the activity, uh, on the impact of medication review for all the patients, for example, of the impact of medication reconciliation at discharge. This has been very useful to facilitate the development uh, and hiring of clinical pharmacy services at the hospital level. We need to move to outcome-based research because we've mainly been working on process-based measures but as I said there's still a long way to go but we are in the process of uh, moving forward. You mentioned in your presentation that you were very clear that you needed to do more with less mm -hmm. and I'm sure that's the same for all European if not worldwide countries. 
So, and you mentioned that you only had a limited number of clinical pharmacists for a limited number of wards. How do you think they are best used? Do you think that they should be pharmacists use on specific wards or do you think that they should be looking for specific types of patients that they could do most for? That's a good question, not an easy one to answer. We've been defining on each of those wards, this hasn't been very structured, but we've been defining together which are the priority patients that each pharmacist should see. On geriatrics I would say that almost a hundred of patients could be considered as high risk. But for example, on orthopedics, obviously not all patients need to be seen or reviewed by a clinical pharmacist. So we've been addressing this by defining a few key features of what are the main patients that we should be able to see. And in the key performance indicators, as I explained, we measure the percentage of inpatients who have a clinical pharmacy record. On orthopedics, we don't want to be 100%. Why we want to be 100% in geriatrics? So it depends on the type of ward and on the type of patients. It isn't very structured in the way that we don't have validated indicators for that. We have agreed on some indicators, but it is not fully based on evidence, I must say. You mentioned a study that was actually published in the EJHP by Linda Dodds, mm -hmm. where they were looking at medicine's reconciliation and review at the point of admission. And it picks up on your point, really, where where you think you might need to put your efforts is not necessarily where they discovered that's the case. So I'm sure you might be aware that in the United States, they're currently looking at validating a model where patients will be able to be given a pharmaceutical prioritization mm -hmm. index, for want of a better description. So all of your patients sat on your elderly care and your orthopedics. Some of them will be very, very low pharmaceutical risk and actually, therefore, the patients that we probably are looking for are dispersed across the hospital and that we need to know where they are by some kind of index scoring system, whether it's through high, whether they're on a high-risk drug or they're on a narrow therapeutic index drug, or they may have acute decompensated organ, for example, like in the level one to three that they use in intensive care. Do you think that that potentially is the right way forward? Yes, sure. I definitely agree. We haven't gone that way yet, but I would be very interested to see the results of that research that is ongoing, just to try to help us on how to prioritize patients, similar to what has been done in emergency departments, for example. So we definitely need such a system for pharmacy practice as well. Yeah. Matteo, do you have any comment on this? Yes, I agree that you have to develop some sort of differentiation, but there's an extra element. I think in Holland especially, we want to visualize our effort. So a hospital pharmacy has to be more outgoing, not inward looking. So it's part of the, the strategies to have uh, clinical pharmacy uh, assistants, especially educators assistants, we call them pharmacy practitioners, just an equivalent of nurse practitioners, and I've developed a program for certifying these assistants so that we can have at every ward and at the entrance of the, the hospital pharmacy practitioners interviewing the patients and that in combination with uh, some sort of algorithm in risk profiling gives, um, I hope, the complete picture of can we have the right patients, also the right patient who is anxious and the right patient who is looking for advice for uh, medication choices in combination 
of the risk profile we make professionally. The patient in need is not always the same patient with an extra risk profile. So we have a combination of well, this sure. social intake and the, the professionally clinical pharmacy intake. But potentially, I guess that in the concept of we all have to do more with less, is that as we are able to more cleverly work out which yeah. level of patients yeah. is which level of pharmacist. So yeah. we need to have our most experienced pharmacists exactly. dealing with the people with the greatest level of pharmaceutical risk exactly. and, and vice versa for junior pharmacists because they don't know what they don't know yeah. and we're putting that patient at risk yeah. and we're putting that junior pharmacist at unnecessary risk because exactly. that's an unfair match. Yeah. So I think we have a lot to learn from like in critical care where they have level one, two, three. Exactly. And it's very clear and we know what is required. Yeah. And in my own hospital, we have started to try to develop something. And I'm like you, I'm waiting for the US model. Yeah. But just in a way of trying to say, do you know what, for the most experienced clinical pharmacists, you should only be looking after level three patients. Mm -hmm. And if that means you have to go to five different wards, yeah. then that's what you have to do. Yeah. Yeah, have to and focus. I think that that's, that's kind of where we're headed, I think. Yeah, yeah. 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 So. yeah. We're heading towards the same uh, future. Yeah, that's, that's good. Uh, that's a good idea. You both mentioned about the need for metrics and measuring and potentially possibly using outcome measures rather than process measures. And I'm conscious that the EHP is talking about its summit later this year and talking about its vision about what it should get to. And clearly, once the vision is agreed, the metrics need to be set so that everybody can then start to collect that data. Which two or three metrics would you personally think should be in there for European hospital pharmacy? The problem with metrics, or the kind of metric I'm thinking about, is that they are not only related to the activity of the clinical pharmacy. So, for example, hospital readmission within 30 days, this is becoming an important measurement for um, accreditation and financing in Belgian hospitals. Obviously, if we do some work to improve the continuity of care, we can decrease hospital readmission within 30 days. That's not only related to the activity of clinical pharmacists, but that's certainly an interesting metric when we talk about continuity of medication management. So this could be a first one. Another one could be the occurrence of severe adverse drug events. But in my experience, this is very difficult to measure on a prospective and routine basis. So I see it used for specific research studies. I'm not sure it is applicable in routine clinical practice. Then we could move to kind of trigger tools metrics. That could be a way of facilitating the collection of data because some of these data can be collected automatically. But then those metrics are more specific to specific classes of medicines or something like that. And to my knowledge, trigger tools related to medications are not fully validated for that kind of measure. Certainly in the UK, NHS England has been working on something called a safety thermometer, mm -hmm. where we actually, every ward once a month, collect data using trigger tool analysis to find out whether any harms occur due to the high-risk drugs, anticoagulation, insulin, opiates, and injectable sedatives. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, because I, I, well, we know the literature tells us that people don't voluntarily report things, but we're looking at outcomes of harm 
which shouldn't, you know, from the patient's point of view, they didn't sign up to have harm from their insulin or their anticoagulation. So we're actually, for the first time, starting to collect that data, and it's fascinating because it looks like, so far, about 2% of all the patients that we actually looked at have had harm due to one of those four high-risk medicines. Yeah, yeah. We, in, in Holland, we had a, a large uh, survey, it's called HARM. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hospital-related uh, admissions related to, to adverse drug effects and uh, one of the main points was that uh, there is a problem in all Dutch hospitals concerning anticoagulant therapy and uh, it's one of the reasons uh, we are focused on this area when a patient is apt for surgery and has anticoagulants or double or triple anticoagulants it's one of the reasons to monitor this type of patients if the intervention is worthwhile in preventing adverse um, events. And the adverse events are rethoracotomy, uh, for instance, uh, in the cardiothoracic uh, department, uh, the use of blood, and the use of extra interventions, uh, depending on the delay of the, of the treatment. So you have some extra, uh, very, very specific measures in uh, measuring the effect of uh, intervention in this field. So I think you have to, to scrutinize uh, in, what, in what field are you doing the things it is not generalization, I think. It's hard to extract the influence of clinical pharmacists from all the influences the other professionals are doing. The nursery staff is, is doing exactly the same communication and things as, as we are doing. But you need to focus on areas where the extra uh, consultancy of the clinical pharmacists is worthwhile and is uh, unique in uh, proving the added value. Yeah, it's the subtlety and complexity of medicines, which means that pharmacists are the medicines experts. Exactly. In the same way that yeah. a doctor can read an x-ray, exactly. but if he wants a specialist opinion, he exactly. asks a radiologist. And I think that that's yeah. the method that we should try to yeah. get people to understand, yeah. that that's how pharmacists are. We exactly. are the experts of medicines. And yeah. use the analogy of radiologists, because I've used this many times, and yeah. they say... I get that, I really understand that, whereas yeah. previously they didn't really understand yeah. what the speciality yeah. was that we were bringing yeah. for patient care. But, but another aspect is control. You have all sorts of doctors in the hospital, and, and you have a teaching hospital, and my, my hospital is also a teaching hospital with hundreds of uh, assistants, trainers, trainees in, uh, in, in the field of many years, medical specialists, and they have to learn the things sure. in the hospital yeah. and they don't always learn it from their medical supervisors so you, you need uh, pharmacy consultants uh, to keep the level of pharmacotherapy uh, at a certain height in your own hospital so what's and that's not an intervention but it's a part of co the control system yeah in so the what's hospital. sorry so what three metrics would you go for to do with to do with clinical pharmacy what three metrics would you go for yeah it's, it's control yeah. Uh, and the control is uh, keeping up the standards. Uh, is it below or is it uh, above the standard? Uh, mm -hmm. And you're talking about uh, anti-effectors, pain control. Pain control is one of them. Yeah. Sedation control, uh, control of bleeding disorders. And the other one is uh, conformity. Uh, the conformity to uh, the control of is uh, the right drug for the right uh, patients uh, introduced in the internet, in the ICT uh, information uh, structure. And the other one is, is outcome, but it's more specified. Yeah. I noticed that neither of you actually mentioned Benson's reconciliation, because if you look at the New Zealand work, looking yeah. at key performance indicators, the, the one value that came out yeah. yes, as being right. yeah. 
percentage um, of patients? Relatively easy to collect, yeah. is yeah. uniformly understood. Mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah. a debate in its own right. But actually, that is the number one indicator that yeah. came out through, yeah. through the survey that they did of not just yeah. hospital pharmacists, but yeah. of hospital doctors and, and clinical managers as yeah. well. So yeah. But do that's we a think process that, measure. Yes, it is. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. 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 So we, we probably need a, a combination, combination yes. of process mm-hmm. and outcome. Yeah. And I'm very focused on outcome measures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. actually, I think everybody understands medicines reconciliation as a term. And, and medical and nursing staff now understand that terminology. And yeah. therefore, it would seem silly to not have that as one of the metrics. Because I'm uh, sure we I could agree. all look at that across Europe. It's yeah. more or less accepted. Too. Yes. Yeah. Well, thanks very much. It was, I say, it was a really, really, really interesting session. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.